Well, hey, friend, and welcome to The Messy Table, an ordinary space for real women, imperfect stories, and the God who's at work in our mess. And that's the story of us, right? Because life is messy and things aren't perfect, but God. God put on flesh and brought heaven to earth, wading into that heavy, messy stuff with us. In fact, giving His life for us. But before I get ahead of myself, just know that we are so glad you're here and we're asking God to show us more of Himself in those ways that only He can. So if we haven't yet had the chance to meet, my name is Jen Jewell, and I get the joy of hosting this Faith-Fueled Conversation Style podcast, which unleashes a true story of hope into your world and your speakers every other Tuesday. And back with me today is one of my dear friends and co-hosts, the amazing Cindy Beal. And we are partnered with the women of our church, Life Church, where we are also huge fans of the YouVersion Bible app, God's Word literally in our back pockets for free wherever we go. And so one of the main reasons we even gather here is to intentionally look away from the highlight reel of social media for a hot second and look to something with more meaning, to learn from each other, to gain a fresh perspective, and be reminded of God's character in each other's real stories. And today's guest is bringing just that. Amy Newberry has gone from living on the streets to being a licensed professional counselor and the owner of a counseling practice called Restore. And she is the perfect person to help others navigate trauma and mental health, to help with conflict intervention and life transitions and so much more. And she's not just a pro because of her education, but also because of her personal experience. Amy is also a wife and a mom and a pretty awesome human who serves on various boards in various states to help bring both awareness and restoration to those who are in need. She has a heartbreaking, fascinating, messy, redemptive story that might just open your eyes in more ways than one. So grab your coffee, pull up a chair, and join Cindy and me for a chat with Amy. All right, Amy, so excited to finally have you. Welcome to The Messy Table. Yes. I'm so glad to be here. I'm also just going to apologize in advance (laughs) that I'm a little scratchy today, but just really excited to still get to share. It's like on The Friends where Phoebe has the sexy flame. Right, and she's singing the cat song (laughs) and and she's so depressed when her voice came back. Yeah, then she's like licking people's faces oh trying gosh, to get it back. That's so funny. <laughs> well, and also, you know, we're recording in Oklahoma and for those who live here, ragweed season is in full force and it is it's legit, legitimately insane. And so that's what our As sweet is evidenced guest, by yeah, my voice today. Voice, for sure. For I think sure. you sound great. Well, I am especially thankful that we're having Amy on this podcast, Jen. Mm-hmm. I know you just got to meet her, but the joy in my heart right now is just <laughs> so much because Amy is one of my people. She's she your is people. in my tribe. We started a group 14 years ago and we've been together doing life together ever since. That's right. When I think about Amy, I think about a few things. I think she is everyone's champion. Mm. She is a depositor of hope. Mm, come on. She is someone who gives courage transplants. Oh, well, now you're just word slaying <laughs> me over here. Dang. Well, I better. I mean, I've written some books. I better have some words in me. So those of you who are listening, don't miss out. Stick with us. Today's episode will be a gift to you, a gift you're giving yourself. And then when you're done, phone a friend, call a friend, get all you people. Tag a friend. Tag a friend and tell them to listen because Amy Newberry has so much to to share today. I mean, I'm personally so, so excited. I know. So excited. So Amy, we're going to get into so many good things about you today, but would you give us just a little snapshot into who you are? Sure. So first and foremost, I am 
the wife to Joshua of 20 years. 20 years. Yay. Yeah, together 20. we have four children. Uh, we chose to do the hardest seasons of parenting at the same time. <laughs> you know, teens and toddlers. Well, we have a 7, 9, 17, 19-year-old. Yeah. So we have Act yeah. 1 and Act 2. <laughs> Bigs and littles. <laughs> Bigs and littles. Yeah. My work is in the field of mental health. I am the clinical supervisor and owner of a state agency and a licensed professional counselor. I was thinking through my passions and really something that just brings me such delight is to be a part of nonprofit work. Mm. And so I'm on the board for City Care and First Steps and do a lot of work with the homeless in Oklahoma City yeah. and in New York City. That's awesome. Wow. Isn't that awesome? So just that intro alone, I hope everybody's just sitting on the edge of their seat. <laughs> okay, so I've heard little details here and there about your story, but I know we have a lot to cover. So if you will just dive in, tell us a little bit about the mess that you faced in your life. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> <laughs> I was born and raised in Oklahoma City. My early childhood, my family was fairly intact, but we were very, very poor. Mm-hmm. A lot of my exposure to like church was through pantries and clothing rooms and an occasional VBS here or there. But that's the only like relationship that I had with the church. Mm -hmm. We pretty much grew up in survival mode a lot of the times due to substance abuse, mental health issues that ran in my family. You know, if you've heard me share my story before, because I have done that a lot. The clarity that I have now around what was happening in my family then has been probably one of the deepest paths of healing for me. Like just being able to put words to poverty, just being able to put words to the fact that what felt like such chaos was substance abuse, mm -hmm. what felt like trauma, and it was acute and compound trauma, was at the hands of mental illness. Mm -hmm. And just like that journey of being able to say that has been a recognition that has been healing for me. But when I was taken into foster care, which I was multiple times, there was a point that I ran away. Mm -hmm. And when I ran away, I did have some support from family at that time, but I pretty much was just turned over to the streets. How old were you, Amy? Uh, 15. 15. You ran away from foster care. Correct. And just, what, hid well enough where they couldn't get you back? Got jumped into a gang. Mm. Okay. Over by the fairgrounds in Oklahoma City. And all under the demise of, first of all, I don't want to be where I was. And second of all, you know, just internally, I'm looking for a place to belong. Mm -hmm. And knowing how important belonging is, gangs are really built for that. I mean, that's all the, the research and the literature and all that comes out and it makes sense. But when I was in and a part of this gang, my grandmother was still very connected to a Sunday school class. And that group of people at that church, inner city church in Oklahoma City, I believe they prayed a lot for me. Mm. Um, by name, I'm pretty sure. Never met me at that point, didn't know me, but Certainly, I've been told that they prayed a lot for me. And so as I'm just navigating the streets, I had actually dropped out of school. Mm. And I've actually gone from a high school dropout <laughs> to someone who has a doctorate degree in yeah. psychology. She is Dr. Amy Newberry. So, you know, just wait. That in and of itself is the uh, journey of hope um, that mm -hmm. I want to share today. And how rare is that? 
I don't even know what the statistic is, but I bet it's low. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amy's story, when I think about it and when I've shared it with other people and then her share it, like she defies the statistics. Like Mm -hmm. she should be the story on, not that we want her to, but like the story on every news outlet. Like it's possible to defy those statistics. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah, and none of it is possible without Jesus. I Absolutely. can tell you that right Absolutely. now. As I'm I'm on the streets and I'm kind of here, there, and everywhere, mm-hmm. my grandmother was a primary kind of support system for me. And uh, she really cared well. And, and I want everyone to hear that because it wasn't a program. It wasn't necessarily a, a group. It was just one person caring. Mm-hmm. And then it led to multiple people intervening. My grandmother, she would invite me to go to church and I'd say, Grandma, listen, I, I cannot go to church. Like, mm-hmm. trust me on that one. And she just kept at it, kept at it. Well, I'm on the streets. I'm dropped out. I'm here, there, and everywhere. And my grandmother uses her prescription medication money. She lives on a fixed income Mm -hmm. to pay for me to go to church camp. And you know, I am human, so I'm like, and I, you love her. You're like her, and I want to please her. If she's going to do that, I'm going to go. I get on a church van, and I do not know one person. Nobody knows my name. I've never been to church. I didn't go to youth group. Let me ask you this. Where did you sleep the night before? My grandmother pulled her mattress off the top of her bed and I slept on her floor. Okay. And she had packed me a bag from the clothing room Mm -hmm. at the church Mm -hmm. and some of my own things. Yeah. And at the top of that bag was one of those, I don't even remember because it's like the 90s. So you've got like the hot pink, but it was a hot pink student Bible. (laughs) Yes. Anyway, it was right on the top of my bag and I go to church camp. And I'm just about as hardened as they come. Yeah. I mean, I had just been stealing car radios with no guilt at all. Mm-hmm. You know, guilt is a feeling. Shame is a thought process. We'll get into all the feeling things later. But everyone around me was doing it. And it was mm-hmm. just the thing you do. And so and you were trying to survive. And if this yeah. is something you did and you'd help you survive, well, we're going to do it. Well, right. And it's just that's what all my friends were doing. You know, selling them to get sneakers and all kinds of other stuff, marijuana, you name it. I end up in this church camp and I was real quiet and didn't say much. This poor, if you're a youth group leader right now (laughs) listening to this, wherever you are, thank you. Uh, Because there are people like me probably in your small group and you're probably just deer in the headlights because I'm sure that was the case for these (laughs) leaders at this camp. But I remember the first or second night they would ask group questions and I would give short answers. I don't know the language. I don't know the stories. I don't know any of this stuff. It's all brand new. And uh, by the third night, I do remember someone saying, God loves you. And I remember saying, no, not me. He might love you, but I'm not convinced Mm -hmm. that God loves me. Mm. And they argued with me a little bit. And I'm just like, oh, you know, the hair's on the back of my neck. I'm like, yeah, let's do this. You know, (laughs) I'm on the streets. I can do this. Yeah. And then that was like mid-afternoon. Then we go down and the message just like pierces me and the worship starts. And I remember I was feeling like I was going to cry. And I don't cry. I mean, I don't cry easily. And I certainly had had all kinds of traumatic things happen and didn't shed a tear. Mm -hmm, Right. And now I'm sitting in this room full of hundreds of people and just sobbing. And 
I ran out and this leader who had told me God loves me, she followed me out and she just was trying to tell me what was happening. And I do remember kind of lashing out in anger because anger is all I knew. I mean, it was like a a comfort blanket. People who come from the streets, they wrap up in anger. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've done a lot of study and a lot of repair work around anger. And so I remember I lashed out and she just was so calm and, and patient with me. Wow. And then that night I just said, well, whatever salvation means, like, I'll just do it. I was like, I'll just sign me up for it. I'll yes. just get saved. And like, we'll just see what happens with this thing. And then it was just like, because I remember hearing, like, would you just give God a chance to change your story? Would you just give God a chance? So in your own way, you were saying yes. Yeah. I run down, for those of you who are a little bit younger than I am, I run down to a payphone, no cell phone, a payphone. And I, I called home to my grandmother. I said, Grandma, I got saved at church camp and she was just so full of joy. It was just a real sweet moment. Wow, that's so powerful. And and I love that you kind of shouted out to the youth leaders because there's a lot of them that are just probably like, am I making a single difference in someone's life? And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of Amy's sitting around churches these days that are just needing to hear that God loves them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've been on that side of the youth leader where you're like, I don't know if they are hearing or care about anything I'm saying, but you just keep showing up. And, you know, knowing you all these years, Amy, if there's one thing I know that you believe, it's that God loves you. There's no doubt in your mind that he loves you. How long did it take you? I mean, you got saved, but like, did you immediately believe like in that moment that God loved you or did it take you a little time to to navigate all those things that you were dealing with? So instantly his love washed over me. Wow. And I and I don't want to say that and placate where you guys uh, who may be listening are right now, Mm -hmm. because instantly his love washed over me, but it took me a really long time to learn to trust him. Okay. So I'm going to say this, like, there's a huge difference between love and trust. Mm -hmm. And for me, like, in my walk, that's been real paramount. And it's okay to not trust just right off the bat, in my opinion. Just be patient with your process and keep working through whatever it is that's causing you to be distrustful of mm-hmm. God. Because obviously I had a hard time trusting people. Right. So now that's I've got to like ask. Yeah. trust this thing called or this person, Trinity, this thing, this, you know, faith of God. And I'm like, well, I'm just not there yet. Yeah. I mean, because like you said, at that point, you may have only trusted your grandmother. Like, right. Maybe and I one did person in the world. implicitly trust her. And I was very bonded in, to her. And I come back from camp and, and I do live with my grandmother for a while and okay. she ends up getting very ill. Okay. That made it very hard to kind of flesh out, you know, what was happening in my life because by Easter of that year, she had passed away. Mm. And there was this couple in her church that I did not know very well, but who had taken me to my very first restaurant and had done some Christmas shopping for me, bought me coats and shoes and things like that. They invited me to come and live with them. And then, you know, the street Amy returns and I'm like, I'm nobody's charity project. I'll be fine. And, you know, honestly, in my mind, I thought I would be because I had been on the streets before and I had been fine. I mean, I guess I thought it was fine. Right. Right. Your version of fine. <laughs> and <laughs> before you go on real quick, tell us a little bit what it was like on the streets, like things that were just normal to you. Yeah. So I worked at Buy for Less. Mm-hmm. I guess there's no Buy for Less anymore. And I just worked pushing grocery carts or cashiering. A lot of the time I would either catch a ride, 
walk to work or take the bus. Mm-hmm. Took the bus a lot to where it went because youth could ride the bus for free. Mm-hmm. So that's, I navigated Oklahoma City, which, you know, Embark now is advancing and I'm a part of kind of all those changes. And I just keep thinking back to like what it was like to take the bus back then. And it was a real experience for sure. Bad. And then at night, you know, there would be a lot of drugs and alcohol and burglary. I'm probably incriminating myself. They're probably going to come look for me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll take care of it, Amy. Will you take care of it? Somebody yeah. phone a friend for me. You have been there for me more than one occasion. I'll be there for you on this. <laughs> yeah. All right, all right, all right. You know, and then just things that I wasn't proud of. So actually, when I became a Christian, I started kind of separating myself out from that group. Okay. Started kind of figuring out like what sin was, what right and wrong was. You know, the idea of going back to the streets felt really hard for me, but I knew I probably could do it. Mm-hmm. And I knew it would be okay, or at least I thought I could. Also, I was 15. Right. Very short-sighted here mm-hmm. on food, clothing, and fun at that point. I think 15 is, that's where they're at. Mm-hmm. But this couple was mentoring and the pastor of the church, like a lot of people had taken interest in me. And so I remember they just said, well, listen, we want you to go back to school. Like it's really important. Legally, this is how we can make that happen. And so that's what we did. And I went to school. This is actually why I got a doctorate degree. Jesus saves, but school tangibly changed the trajectory of my life because Mm -hmm. I had missed a year and a half of my education. So when I went back to school, I went to school from 7.30 a.m. to 7 p.m. Wow. So I just pulled, I mean, everything I did was just read and did these modules to make up my credit hours and all that stuff. I graduated with my graduating class Mm. because I made that time and those credit hours up. So you got motivated. I I mean, I had nothing else to do. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll do school. And I actually genuinely liked school. I Most of what we experienced when we had bouts of homelessness as children was spending the daytimes in the library. Mm-hmm. So I would just read. And somebody tell my kids that so they don't complain at me for That's me right. telling them to read books. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> no, they, my kids are readers. But when I graduated, they said, well, where do you want to go to college? And I said, college... I don't know. I didn't think I'd ever go to college. So I asked the couple I was living with, well, where'd you go? And he was a veterinarian. And this is the couple from church? Yeah, this was the couple I moved in with at church that helped me graduate high school. He said, well, Mary Lou and I, well, I went to OSU and I said, well, I'll go to OSU. Mm -hmm. So he helped me navigate all of that. He took me for a tour. I applied uh, was accepted. I don't even know how. I mean, I guess I had <laughs> grades. I don't know. Yeah. But now that I did that with Madison, my oldest child, uh, who's at OU this year, I was thinking back, thinking, how did I get in? Right. Like, right. how did that even work? You know? And long story short, I went to school just about as naive to life as they come in terms of college. But I remember two things. One, prior to going, this couple legally adopted me. So I was legally adopted by them. And I knew that I had a place to call home, Mm -hmm. even though I was starting this new college life. And then two, when I got to college, this is this is real important. I remember kind of shrinking a little bit in terms of all the chaos of my childhood and my story Because as you go to a dorm room and you're kind of in a melting pot situation, I just wanted to be normal. And so they would be like, tell me about your family. And it was like, oh, yeah, we're great. Like my dad's a veterinarian. Right. Mm -hmm. And everything's fine. I don't blame you. How old were you when they adopted you? 18. 
by like three weeks. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like, weren't you that, what's the statistic there? Weren't you that? I was the very first adult adoption in the state of Oklahoma. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it was just, for me, it was literally about belonging somewhere. Mm -hmm. From now on, this is where I call home. Yeah. And so didn't pick a major. What do you want to do? I don't know. I didn't even know I was going to college. I, I so just I have made no it idea. this far. Yeah, and I'm like, glad about it. You know, just every day is a, you know, I'm just cultivating relationships and, and navigating those things. And so. Which, by the way, come on, cowboys, go pokes. Just <laughs> okay. got to say that. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, I got a, I got a kid at OU. So that's uh, all right. Got to do, I got to do the bedlam dealio and be like, yeah, we're house divided, even though we're not. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Okay. So you're trying to just act like everything's normal. You're a normal girl with a normal family. Dad's a vet. What else? I meet a boy. Ooh, love story. You ready for this one? Yes. Gosh, what was that? 23 years ago? Yeah. Almost 24 years ago. Almost 24. So I meet this man Mm -hmm. at the BCM, Baptist Collegiate Ministry, which I am attending and really involved in. It's like doing this. Which is awesome. I was curious if you got plugged into anything when you were there. Instantly. That was like, I got to find Christians. I was like still a very new Christian growing Mm -hmm. by, you know, by the minute at that point. And so uh, I remember two things. Number one, uh, he swiped his meal plan to buy me cookies. Come on. Yeah. Such a spender, big spender there. And two, he was unlike any male person, male man I had ever known. I was just like, he was very gentle and kind. And obviously with my background in the field of gangs, that was not the image that I had or foster care fathers or things like that. And so for me, it was like he was my very first boyfriend Hmm. per se. We dated and I remember telling him two things in college. Number one, when we were talking about you know, just future with future templating is what I would call it now because I'm a therapist. So I'm going to use therapist words. Yeah. I said, someday I do want to be married, but I'm never having kids. Mm-hmm. I never want to be a mom. I, I don't even know how to be a mom. I don't know how to figure that out. Like, it's just on my list of things I'm not going to do. Also, ladies, whoever's listening, don't say those things out loud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even if keep, you think of keep that inside. Keep those things. Hey, in, you were trying to be honest. Yeah. We fall in love. We date for years. He proposes. I say yes. And did you tell him about your past? Well, that's an interesting question. I'm glad you asked. Okay. Uh, not for seven months okay. of dating. Okay. Oh, yeah. Tell him about this. Yeah. So yeah. so then my adoptive mom says like, hey, I think you probably should tell him where you come from. And I, at that point, you've known somebody seven months yeah, and I've met his family. A little awkward. <laughs> I don't know how to go there. Um, it was like six or seven months that we had dated and I hadn't really unpacked all that yet. So I'm like, oh yeah, here's this suitcase that we need to talk about. I remember sitting outside of my dorm room and we had our laundry baskets because we had just done laundry. And I said, I need to tell you something. And I was fully expecting to get broken up with that night. Because I felt like I had kind of lied a lot about, but you know, I was genuine, but then also like, oh yeah, by the way. Totally kept this hidden. Mm -hmm. And I just remember he, he, I tell him, it's like a gut punch, you know, honestly, to even have to tell him, but he just sat there and cried. And, you know, his response was, I'm just so sorry Mm. that you were hurt so bad. And that was that. It was just like... Not even a thing. It was not even a thing. And so I'll enter the story with this. Like that to me was just 
love in flesh. Mm. And then two, I think in that moment and all these other little moments that, you know, you're skipping over when you're trying to time a story well, but maybe that night I started learning a little bit about trust. Right. Maybe that night I I started thinking through like, well, there are these trustworthy people in my life now, mm-hmm. you know, and he obviously is one of them because I'll tell you something about my husband of 20 years now. And I tell people this often. I was like, yeah, love is a feeling that kind of comes and goes, but there's not been one moment since I met him that I haven't trusted him. Mm. Not one. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's really good. Mm-hmm. So you tell him, I'm not going to have kids. Mm-hmm. And um, that was fun. That, that was, was fun. That was super fun. So you tell him you're not going to have kids and you obviously have still, even though you've met Jesus, you're trying to walk with him. You've started a new part of your life. You're in college. You've got actually a future and a guy, but there's still baggage from the past and your life. And part of not having kids is a direct reflection of where you were and how life was for you. So tell us about what that was like. Did you change your mind or did little Miss Madison just surprise us all? Well, I got strep throat. Okay. So we got married, first of all, in 2002. And then about seven months later, I got strep throat and it counteracts birth control. Yeah, like an antibiotic. Yeah. Uh-huh. If if somebody doesn't tell you that, then please just <laughs> hey, make everybody, Donald Everybody, here's your bulletin, Amy. <laughs> but remember, I'm not that kind of doctor. Right. I'm not that kind of doctor. That's what her kids say. That's what my kids tell me when I'm like, oh, we need to like take you. We need to take this medicine. You need to go this medicine. You're not that kind of doctor. You're not that kind of doctor. So I get pregnant. I am pregnant at that point. And I'm just just kind of shocked. I mean, even when I brought this baby home from the hospital, I did not want to take this baby out of the car seat. My literal family had to come over and change this child's diaper because I was like, I'm just going to break her. I'm from the streets. I'm going to break a baby. I don't know how to do this. But then I just, like we do, like us moms, if you're a mom out there listening, Mm -hmm. like you do, you just, you become a student of your baby. Mm -hmm. And for me, like, if there's anything I had learned at that point to do well, was just to be a student. And it teaches us so much about ourselves. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I just recently, this will be a good nugget, just recently had to advocate for my nine-year-old son over a thing. And I remember sitting with his principal and I said, you know, I'm, I'm not coming here today as, an, as a child and adolescent expert, because at this point in my education and, and my job, you are. that's what I am. I said, I'm coming as an expert of my son. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it's anything I've learned as a mom is to just really study these little people very well. And so the hope. And they're all so different. Oh, yes. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. Everyone's. And and that's something they tell you in internal family systems training is that every person, every child in the family is in a different family. And so every child in the family obviously has to be a different child. And the way they're wired and all of those things um, really matters. So as I was a new mom and then. We actually planned for our second born to come along a couple of years later. I do what I'm pretty good at doing and just jump all in, you know, never, ever go in the route of the shallow end. I just jump straight into the deep end. You mm-hmm. know, it's a sink or swim situation for Amy Newberry. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. <laughs> and with children, I decided at, at the moment that I decided I could like parent my child when they were like, OK, you're not going to break her. Everything's going to be all right. I decided I'm going to fail forward in this deal and just try to be the best that I can. I'm not going to be afraid to mother. And I remember having these moments where I, 
you know, I'm pioneering every bit of this, all of it, because I don't, you know, the way trauma works, like I've got a lot of repressed memory. I don't remember a lot of like any good parts about mothering type experiences, but I'm I'm bound and determined. Like when you were mothered? When I was mothered, okay. I had no I had nothing to really roll off of yeah. with young children. Mm-hmm. But I remember I just desired so much to build something that I never got to have. Mm. And so my husband and I, we just said two things. We said one, let's just not divorce. Hmm. Like let's just figure it out. We're going to have really hard seasons. We get it. We already have. Like, we both have these festering wounds. Let's get help with those. And uh, and I'll, I want to say this. Like, if you're if you're a blended family out there, if, if you're going through something like that right now, like, and there's so much grace for you. Mm-hmm. And there's so much help out there right now. Don't walk that alone. Because never once did Josh and I stay married because we decided to stay married alone. I want you to hear that today. So we stayed married because we we figured out how to get help when we needed help. Mm. And and if you're divorced, then by all means, get help with that. And then we figured out, like, with our family, we started just, again, doing the thing I do. You just, I read a lot. I had a lot of other moms. That was all the mommy blog days. I just mommy blogged it a lot. <laughs> and I don't know how I went from that to the day that I looked up. And realized that, and I'm going to cry, goodness, that my children were happy mm-hmm. and my children were healthy. My children were thriving. And that, I was just like, oh, like, here we are. We're just doing it, you know? And honestly, I'm still doing it. I got littles at home. Yeah. That's so good. So essentially, the family that I always wanted, the one I really needed, is the one I built. Mm, yeah. That's the one I got. The yeah. family you dreamed of as a child, you got it as a mom. Yeah. And and there were m- moments that I nurtured, let's use that word today because I think we'll go there in a minute. I nurtured my inner child through my daughter mm-hmm. and through my older mm-hmm. son. And there were moments like they would catch me off guard and take the wind out of my sails sometimes, but I just worked through it and I had a counselor and I had a lot of mentors that helped me. One of them was this game my husband used to play with our children where he would pull in from work and they would run and hide, you know, and he would come in the door and he would say, you know, where's my daughter? Uh And I just remember running and hiding and not ever wanting to be found. Mm -hmm. And I remember that being a real hard space for me. And I remember when I would see her face and how elated she would be that he was just picking her up and loving and nurturing her. I would sit with God. I would sit with my counselor. I would work through Mm. that inner Amy that was so wounded and just season by season began to heal through Mm -hmm. raising kids. The one thing I never wanted to do. (laughs) Imagine that. Imagine what I would have missed. I know. Amazing. I know. Yeah. Earlier, you were talking about your husband and you said that, you know, Love is a feeling that comes and goes, but trust has stayed. And I'm curious how how that applies to your relationship with God. Yes, building trust is a process. And with the family that had cared for me later into my adolescence, but really probably those early years of my relationship with Josh, just because I was such a new Christian, I think that's when trust entered the picture. Mm -hmm. I think that's when I thought, There are people that are trustworthy. There are decent people in this world. Mm -hmm. If you know Josh, he is just slow and steady. 
And that Mm. truly just wins the race. So imagine now apply that to your relationship with Christ. It's not like this mountain moment necessarily or this valley moment. It's this slow and steady race of like, oh man, his mercies really are new every morning. Mm -hmm. Oh, he really is in the crushing moments of brokenheartedness. These days and these hours and these memories, like I can find him Mm -hmm. in them. And then what's really interesting about the kind of work that I do now in therapy and with memories is once you build trust with God, you can actually go back and find him in the memories. That's beautiful. And so then you've got this full picture of, okay, you didn't leave me or forsake Mm -hmm. me, God. You really didn't. Right. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I trust you. Mm-hmm. Like, I do trust you. Which is really, I mean, the ingredients for a relationship of yes. any kind. Yeah. Well, and, you know, what Amy's not telling our listeners, um, and of course she's not because she's not going to brag, but she literally has impacted more families and more individuals than I can even count. Like, mm-hmm. there are families around, not just our city, but even beyond that have the fingerprints of Dr. Amy Newberry, but not just doctor, who is very smart and has all the right answers and knows all the terminologies. You know, when people say, Cindy, what's that thing? And I'm like, I don't know. That's so, there's a fancy word for ask that. Amy. But just ask Amy. But so she is definitely Dr. Newberry, but she's also Amy Newberry, the friend. And so like there are families whose trajectories are different because of her impact. And so I'm going to ask you like, Are you aware of what God has done through your story? Yeah. I'm probably not aware, honestly, Mm -hmm. because... mm. Because you have your head down and you're just loving people. And she does. just commissioned. And she just... I have seen her in action, literally working to do things to help save a child from a situation or help find something for a child or a parent or whatever. I've Mm -hmm. seen her do it. And it's just like... She was made for it. Mm -hmm. And you can speak into these stories in such a unique way because of your experience. Not that we would want that for anybody, but because you've been there, you have a very unique voice. And you always tell me what? God (laughs) wastes nothing. Nothing. And he doesn't. I will say there's been a lot of moments in my work that I just do like, it's so familiar to me. It's like breathing. It's just like, oh, yeah they're having this crisis or this domestic violence situation or this homelessness situation and the relativity there. I think that's the encouragement today. It's just like that relativity of like, oh, I know exactly the avenue of this resource or that person or this connection or this system. And one of the things, you know, I'm I'm a very justice-driven person. So like I'm in all of these things to try to put a dent or I'm, I'm maybe not a dent. Maybe I'm just scratching the surface of all the injustice that I see and feel. Yeah. But I'm so familiar with this system because this system raised me. This system is all I ever knew. And it's just one that I, I go back to. So I was standing on the corner of Southwest 29th in Portland. My husband had just bought this apartment complex. And I audibly, as audibly as you can hear God, I audibly heard the words of Isaiah where he said, go back to the land that you came from. And just be with the people there. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's just what I did. And I did that in 2007, 2008, 2009. And I just kept going back to this land that I came from. Just showing up for people in poverty, working on resources in our city, just 
all of the work that my hands have just been stirring. Starting um, a nonprofit. I mean, yeah, I started a nonprofit and I work alongside nonprofits. Um, and it's just been this journey. Mm-hmm. And I think this is pretty cliche, but they say clinically significantly, they say hurt people hurt people. And mm-hmm. so we talk a lot about that. And they say healed people heal people. Mm. And I think I just stood on that corner and it just made sense. It was like, oh, I'll just go back to the land that I came from. Mm-hmm. And I never left. Like, I think this whole city has my phone number. (laughs) I think they call me around the clock. I have, don't worry about me. I'm very balanced. I have good boundaries. But I... I Well, one of our jokes in our group is Amy will be like, you guys, I'm running out of lives, you know, because (laughs) she's, I mean, you guys, Jesus saves, but he is, she is the hands and feet of Jesus in this city. And we're like, Amy, we'd like you to stay around a little longer. Can you please calm down? (laughs) You know? Yeah. And that's a good point that it is God working through us, but yeah. That's how he does his work That's is right. through people. And so we have to recognize that as well. And so I just honor your willingness to step into that. I mean, I know you were already in it, but you could have easily been like, well, now I'm out of it. And so I don't have I've to go I've got my back. family, got my husband. Yeah. I'm good. But she yeah. just, she is, you know, if you think the world's on fire, if you think families are on fire, she is running into the burning building. Mm-hmm. So what do you want families to know? And I know that's a really broad question because we're going to well, have a lot of people with trauma. for <laughs> right? Right. Hey, uh, listeners, this is a three-hour episode. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to go straight into therapy. Are you ready? Right. It's a super broad, huge question. But I guess what I'm saying is like, so obviously there's maybe families who have a lot of trauma, some that don't have as much trauma, some who are trying to speak into um, this dark place and shine a light. And so I guess just what is something that maybe God is bringing to mind that you really want to share with everybody? Well, I think the most important thing to say that would actually be helpful would be that now is not forever. Mm-hmm. Whatever you're going through right now, mm-hmm. uh, whether that is marriage space, whether you are a child that has been wounded by a parent, or whether you are struggling with mental health or mental illness in your home, I want you to know that right now is not the way it's going to be forever. It's good. And I think if I would have thought that, you know, all those years ago, if I thought, man, this is it, this is all I got, I would have never been able to look up mm-hmm. and pull out and breathe that fresh wind and that fresh fire that was there for me. Mm-hmm. But I knew, I knew instinctually like, oh man, I, I don't have to stay like this forever. I can look for something better. Mm-hmm. And the second thing I want to tell families is I don't want to wrap this podcast up in a bow. Like I just, I mean, it's the name of it. The reason why I said yes to is because the first word of it said messy. I was like, yes, I'm out for that. (laughs) And I I want you to know, I don't say yes to every single one because I, I choose carefully where I need to be. But I said yes to this one because it is a messy table. But there's a place at that table for you. And if Mm. you don't feel like there is one, I want to tell you there is. If I had a picture, which I can send it to you later, of what I looked like when I got on that church bus, you would say, what in the world? I mean, my head was shaved. We might need a copy of that. Yeah. I had tattoo on my hand that I had done with ink and a pen, like a needle. I had baggy clothes. And then I got on this bus and I found out, oh, there's a place at that table for me too, Mm -hmm. you know? And the last thing I would say to families right now is, you know, go with God, but don't do it alone. 
And also, if you need real help, find a therapist. And obviously, I'm going to plug that because I do that for a living. But I'm going to tell you what, there's some real skill in processing the pain that you're in right now. And there's some real help that can be found in having someone who knows how to work through trauma recovery and how to do that with your memories and with your experiences. It's so good. And it really is truly impactful. So go with God. Just follow him wherever he is Mm -hmm. for you. But please don't step into that alone. Do you think it's essential for that therapist to be a Christian or is that an added bonus? What are your thoughts on that? Well, that is a slippery slope. But let me say this. I am a Christian that is a counselor and I implement biblical principle analogies, all kinds of things into my work. But I think here's actually what I tell people at intake. I'm not the right fit for everyone. Yeah. And finding a therapist is literally like going and finding a pair of jeans. So stay with me, women. (laughs) Um, We ain't walking out of Madewell or Levi with a hundred dollar pair of jeans that we don't plan on wearing Mm -hmm. because they're too big or too small. So don't sit in someone's office for therapy if it's that doesn't working. fit you. That's, good. That's yeah. a good word. Yeah. Good. I've heard a lot of people get frustrated with like, well, this counselor, it didn't work. I saw one person. I'm like, that's like giving up on trying to marry someone after you had one date with one guy <laughs> or one, you know, for guys, for gals, you know. So just you've got to find the right fit and um, trust that person. So, And I think if you need help with anxiety and depression, I think it's important to probably find just someone that's skilled and has training in those things. But if it's a value thing for your family, I mean, obviously, if you're a Christian, you need to find Christian counsel. That's good. Such good stuff, Amy. And one of the things about Amy, when we have a group chat in our group and she'll come in and she'll just craft the most beautiful sentences and paragraphs. And I'm just like, it could be a book. Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. Well, she's practically written a book with her dissertation. It's just like <laughs> all technical terms and you know, she used to read like textbooks to her youngest son when she was working on <laughs> so her maybe dissertation. So put one in layman's terms right, for so the rest of layman. us. But that's what I'm saying is like as freakishly smart as she is, she has a heart of gold and there's just so much to share. And so like, I just want you to spend like 20 minutes sharing all the things. But could you leave us with a thought? Could you leave our listeners with something? One last thing you want to share. This is my heartbeat outside of my body. But the moment I fell in love with Jesus, truly beyond salvation was the moment I felt intrinsically valued. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say this to you. And yeah, I'm talking to you. Your life has tremendous value and you really matter. You matter to me and you matter as a mom. You matter as a wife. You matter as a friend. You matter as a daughter. And Somewhere along the way, I know it's going to be really helpful if you learn to cultivate emotional authenticity. And because your life matters so much, you deserve to belong. You deserve the power of connection. That's where I want to leave this. There's no tying it up. There's no end of the story here because I still have breath in my lung. But everywhere I go, no matter what you've been through or where you're at right now, you just need to know that you're Mm -hmm. so valuable and you have such tremendous value. Well, this has been so valuable. And so thank you for your time and for taking a little part of your day to uh, just pour some wisdom into us and to hear your story. So thank you. Well, sorry about my voice, but I'm so happy to be here. Love you. I like it. Love you too. You are amazing. 
Okay, well, we mentioned some really great resources and all of those are linked in the conversation notes. We'd also love to hear what you think. You can find and connect with us on Instagram at The Messy Table Podcast. And if you want these episodes to come straight to your phone instead of having to search for them, you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or Stitcher. Or if you'd rather just get a plain and simple email in your inbox telling you when a new episode is live, you can sign up for that on my website. Again, we are so, so thankful you took the time to join us. And it always means so much when you text these episodes to a friend or you share them on social media or even leaving a rating and review in Apple Podcast is a simple way to bring visibility to the podcast and make a difference. So as you head back into your day and into your world, don't forget, yes, life is messy, but God is at work in your mess.